Uh, good morning, by the way. My name is Jeff Mickey, and uh, I'm glad to be here with you this morning. I love this series we're in called Restart because it feels like that's where we are right now today. Like we're restarting, right? And, and like news kind of keeps coming out and gets a little bit better, and, and there's another kind of restart, that sort of thing. So I love that. I love also because it's a great description, really, of, of Jesus' invitation to us uh, when he came and invited us to follow him further up and further into God's kingdom. And he came on the scene and he said, um, he started his ministry by saying, repent for the kingdom of God is here. And he's basically saying, you know, stop for a second, stop, stop, you know, the way you're currently living and thinking and consider this other kingdom that's available to you right here and right now. And then he went on to teach one of his most famous teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, and he, and he talked about things that we could leave behind that would offer us our freest and best life if we would leave things like worry and, and being judgmental and, and being angry. If we would leave those things behind, we could follow him into our best and freest lives. And this morning, as Carl said, we're going to talk about anger. Fun little topic. So I asked some friends and I asked some of our staff, like, what is it that you would like to learn about anger? If there was a teaching about anger, what is it you want to know? And one of my friends immediately said, you know, I'd like to know where anger comes from. Because, like, I'm pretty sure I never had anger until I had kids. (laughs) Some of you can relate to that. Another person said, uh, you know, I'll I'll be reading uh, an article or I'll be looking at social media and then I'll come across comments underneath Like, that are just mean comments or ignorant comments. And I have this visceral, like, reaction. Like, my body just tenses up and I just feel this anger. Like, what's that anger about? Some of us can relate to that as well. Experts actually say that for the past year or longer, conditions in our culture have been perfect for growing anger. Actually, they say we've been living in an anger incubator. Conditions are perfect to support and promote anger. Anger is actually becoming the acceptable response when we don't get what we think we deserve. Isn't that special? 84% of Americans actually say we're angrier today than we were a generation ago, which made me wonder, am I angrier today than I was a few years ago? Are you angrier? Or do you feel yourself getting angry more easily than what you used to? And is it possible that our hearts are becoming incubators for anger? I was in a meeting with uh, some friends and and we were talking about kind of restarting and what it's gonna take. And there were some leaders, you know, and people from the community and they're talking about like how hard this is, how confusing, how uncertain it is as we start to try to bring people back and start to move forward. Again, and so people are sharing their opinions, but not only are we sharing opinions, but like we're trying to get other people to see how our opinion is the right opinion. And we're in the middle of this meeting, and and I could feel myself kind of pushing my ideas and getting some pushback and feeling a little bit misunderstood, and and I could feel myself tensing up, my heart rate kind of picking up, my breathing. Uh, I could hear the tone of voice and the volume picking up in others and see the change of expressions on their faces. And... And, and I was getting defensive, and finally the meeting ends, and a, a little while later, about an hour or so later, a friend of mine comes to me who was at the meeting and says, yeah, I had a couple of friends stop by and ask why you were so angry. And I'm, I was like, well, my immediate response, well, I wasn't angry. I was just frustrated. 
And that's the thing about anger, right? It comes in many forms. And it's always easier to call it something else. I'm just frustrated. I'm annoyed. I'm irritated. But I'm not angry. Because it seems like the minute that we, we call it anger, like it, it, we have to own it, right? As long as it's called something else, the real problem is outside of us. It's in a circumstance or a person or, 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 or a situation that has caused us to become frustrated or annoyed or irritated. It's not my fault then if I respond poorly to that. I can, I can justify my actions. I can blame it on the situation or on that person for being so maddening. But anger isn't something outside of us. Anger is a universal emotion that lives inside each and every one of us. And it's actually there for a purpose. We're going to talk about that in, in a couple minutes. But given the right conditions, our anger grows into sin. And it can wreak havoc in our lives and in our relationships. It can cause us to do some embarrassing and shameful and even destructive things. And I think this is why Jesus chose this as kind of the first heart issue to address when he started teaching in his Sermon on the Mount. It's the first place that Jesus actually invites us to make a fresh start by encouraging us to consider a new perspective. And it's kind of a surprising way he goes about it. This is what Matthew says Jesus taught about anger. Matthew 5, he says, You have heard it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you something new. I tell you a new perspective. That anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. This is some pretty harsh words. I think what, one of the things Jesus is saying to the crowd is, is listen, you know the Ten Commandments, right? They are a guide to help us learn how to love others and act with love towards others better. And they also describe some actions that are out of bounds. And you know that murder is way out of bounds, right? It's a, it's a major infraction. It comes with a stiff penalty. But, but listen, anger itself will take you out of bounds too. There's a lot of things that can happen between the time we get angry before murder. <laughs> a lot of destructive things. Jesus is talking beyond the action, and he's talking about an issue in our hearts. I think he's saying, don't let your anger, don't let your heart become an anger incubator. When we let anger take up room in our heart, it can cause a whole lot of trouble. So let's think about different types of anger. Like there's a visceral anger that just kind of, uh, we feel it in our gut. And it just, it just kind of, a, a switch gets flipped and it just, it overtakes us and our whole body gets involved and it's like, boom, it's just out there. There's no holding it back. It's like when I reach to give my wife's knee a little squeeze and before I can even give my hand, it's like, pow, you know, right in the arm. It just comes right out of her. There's no lag time between the reach and the punch. <laughs> and we can do a little bit to maybe work on that kind of anger, but there's not much we can do to prepare for uh, something that catches us so off guard. 
And then there's a good kind of anger. Uh, it's called righteous anger. And it's anger that's used in the right way. Jesus actually experienced and expressed this kind of anger. We read stories about it when, uh, you know, he got upset with people who were in the temple who were cheating and, and robbing the poor. And so he, he chased them out of the temple and he threw their tables out. And Jesus got uh, mad at people, uh, at religious leaders who misunderstood the law and who were putting burdens on people and keeping people from following him. See, Jesus' anger was an intentional expression of his desire to help people get something that they deserved, a life they deserved that they weren't able to get. That's good anger. What God calls righteous anger. It's anger expressed to help others get what they deserve but aren't getting. And unfortunately, this kind of anger isn't all that common. In fact, when we see it, sometimes we misinterpret it, we misunderstand it. And sometimes we think that our own anger is a righteous anger. But what's far more common is this unrighteous anger, right? It's a more selfish form of anger when we don't get what we want or that we think we deserve. And then this anger wells up and we take action, right, to try to get back or get something that we think we deserve. Jesus' brother James actually describes it this way. He says, uh, you desire but you do not have, so you kill. There's the murder. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When we don't get what we want, like, like we get angry. That's the birthplace of, of anger. We see other people have something that we want, and, and we can't get it, and, and we want it. And so we start to get jealous, and then we maybe quarrel and fight, and then James says we even kill. And I think this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. It's a kind of anger that, that takes root in our hearts, and it actually holds us and others back from the life of joy, the life of freedom that he is inviting us into. When we don't uh, get what we want, or think we deserve it, there's some emotion that gets stirred up in us. And then a lot of times, there are some stories that start going around in our minds. And these stories and emotions kind of feed each other. And depending on the story, it affects what, what we feel. And there's all kinds of stories when we don't get what we want. It can be simply like, uh, you don't love me, or you'd give me that. Or you owe me. Or I can't trust you. You broke your promise. It's not fair. And depending on the story, it will affect the emotion. So, so we might feel uh, hurt or jealous. Or we might get worried. Or we might become afraid. And then these stories and these emotions just start going back and forth. And anger is born when these stories and these emotions start to threaten us. And then it comes out of us as anger. It's like you can't shake the feeling, and so you keep playing the situation over and over in your mind. We relive the hurt and the disappointment. We start to get more jealous or more afraid. The story gets a foothold in our heart. And pretty soon we're thinking, you know, we know we're right. 
we've been wronged. There was the, the other person, there's no reason they should have treated us that way or done that thing or deprived us of this thing that we want. And so I need to do something to make sure they know how much they hurt me. To make sure this never happens again. And pretty soon, like we're steaming, we've got this whole story that justifies our anger. And we can get so worked up with resentment and bitterness that it just boils over into this, this place where we just despise this other person. So much so that we are willing to go to them, a loved one, a, somebody, a good friend, a brother, a sister, and say, you know what? I'm done with you. You are worthless. You're a fool. Raka. And we destroy a relationship. We write them off. We may even try to turn others against them and, and ruin their reputation. There's no telling how far our anger will carry us because once we lose control of our anger or these negative emotions, they begin to control us. We start to live according to these stories and these negative emotions rather than according to the story of the kingdom of God and life in God's kingdom. Left unchecked, our angry hearts lead to really dark places. Anybody else experienced this kind of process besides me? I, I look back in my life, and I look back at like probably one of the angrier times of my life was when our oldest son was, you know, hitting those teenage years and those sorts of things. And this is like exactly the process when I reflect on it that would go on. I mean, there were things that I wanted from my son. Like, like I wanted him to like me. I think most parents want their kids to like him. I wanted him to respect me. I, I wanted at least for him to do what his mother and I were asking him to do. And for a long time, that's, you know, those early years, it was, it was great. And then it was like we woke up one day, and it was like he didn't like me anymore. It's like, what happened? And I started writing this story of betrayal. Like, come on, buddy, like, I'm your biggest fan. I've been in your corner your whole life. Like, you know, you like me. Like, like now, why don't you like me all of a sudden? And then when there was some disrespect that would, would come out, I started writing a story of jealousy. Well, you're giving respect to your parents, friends. You're respecting your coaches. Where's the respect I deserve? You know, and then as he's making decisions that are going against what his mother and I are asking him to do, there's stories of fear and of worry that, that come out. You know, worry about what some of his decisions are going to lead to, worry that he's going to walk away from us. You know, fear about what those consequences could bring and worry about what, what do other people think of me as a, as a dad. And... Uh, fear that maybe they're right. Maybe I'm just not a very good dad. And then all these things would start to build up and, and we'd be in a conversation and I would start to feel threatened and it would poof, just come out in an angry outburst. I remember actually telling him one time, you're a fool. Maybe more than once. <laughs> I remember uh, telling him one time, I'm done. I'm just done. I know some of you have experienced some of these hard times in your own relationships with folks too, and it can be absolutely heartbreaking. See, Jesus says murder isn't the only result of anger that robs life. An angry heart will take you and others right out of the life 
that Jesus is inviting us to experience with him. I think he's, he's warning us in the kindest, most loving way. Hey, just don't, don't let your heart become an incubator for anger. Set your heart free. Because a heart full of anger isn't very far removed from a heart full of hate. And a heart full of hate isn't that far removed from a heart that would murder. See, a heart full of anger leads us right away from the kingdom of God. It imprisons us in our own personal hell. There's actually science that bears this out. Like the minute we start to experience anger, our brains start to activate the amygdala and the uh, hypothalamus, and they start to send uh, signals to start uh, uh, creating some, some hormones and some chemicals. So like uh, adrenaline and cortisol get created, and they affect the neurons that are communicating in the hippocampus and, and uh, in the prefrontal cortex. These are the areas of the brain that affect short-term memory and our ability to make good judgments. So you wonder sometimes, why do I always forget what I was going to say in the middle of an argument? It's because these things are starting to shut us, shut parts of our brain down, you know, and then, and then uh, uh, serotonin gets involved and we become more aggressive and, and we can feel pain a lot more easily and our heart rates start to pick up and our muscles start to feel tense and we get pressure behind our eyes and, and our heads might start to ache. We lose all ability to make good decisions. We become more aggressive. Anger actually takes our brains and our bodies hostage and creates this living hell. That's pleasant. (laughs) So what do we do? What do we do? Because we've all been given this capacity to experience anger. We've all been given that capacity. It, It actually is a gift we've been given. Like there's a good side of anger. It can be used as an asset. It has a purpose. It's it's meant to signal, be a warning sign that something's not right or something needs to be changed. It's kind of like the check engine light in our car, right, that says check under the hood. Anger tells us, listen, there is some emotion deep in your heart or there's some desire, there's something going on that needs your your attention. Left unchecked, bad things might happen. It's kind of like that light in the car, right? A lot of us will just, I don't know when that came on. I don't know how long it's I don't know what it's for. I think I'll just keep driving and hope it goes away. James says, don't do that. James offers some different advice. He encourages us with these words. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It doesn't produce the right kind of relationships that God desires. The Apostle Paul adds, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. James and Paul are echoing Jesus and saying, listen, don't let your hearts become an incubator for anger. When you don't get what you want... And you start to to notice some negative emotions, or maybe you get these symptoms of anger rolling around. That you just just slow down, slow down. Don't drive 
with the check engine light on. When anger makes an appearance, stop talking and start listening. Like listen when your friend comes to you and says, hey, some people kind of thought you were angry. Listen. They're trying to help you out. I think James would say also listen to what's going on inside you. Listen to the stories and, and these feelings that are happening inside you. Like what are those voices saying in your head? What are, what are some of the desires maybe that aren't being met? Ha, have I even asked God to give me what I want or what I need? And have I paused long enough to listen to whether those things line up with what God wants for me and for others around me? Paul adds, you know, he says, hey, listen, don't sweep this stuff under the rug and ignore it. You know, when you slow down, actually pay attention. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. You need to actually pay attention so it doesn't get a foothold in your heart and you end up doing something stupid. Andy Stanley offers some really practical advice. and I, I love Andy Stanley and how he gets practical about some of this stuff. And he says just, you know, like when your heart starts to quicken and you're in that debate and you feel like, what if you just stop, kind of hit the pause button and said, you know, I, I think part of this problem might be me. Can you imagine next time you get into an argument with your spouse or with a son or daughter or a parent or a friend and it starts to get a little bit heated, you start to feel those first signs of anger creeping up and you just said, hey, hey wait a second, hey, wait a second. I just had a thought, like, I think part of this problem might be me. You might get a standing ovation, right? People might go, yeah, that's what I've been trying to tell you. And what if you said, you know what, can I just have a second here? Can we just take a time out? Because I actually think there might be something that I want that I'm not getting. And maybe I know what it is, or maybe I need time to think about what that is, because I'm not even sure what it is. And maybe I need time to think about whether it's even right for me to be asking that of you. Or maybe that's something I need to bring to God. And you know what, I think if I had a little bit of time to think about this and to reflect, we could come back together and have a better conversation and our brains and our minds would actually be more relaxed and we could have a really good conversation about this. Would that be all right with you? It's a really hard thing to do. And I dare you to try that the next time you sense that anger building in a relationship or disagreement that you're having. My friend uh, who said that she didn't have anger until she had kids said this is actually something she's discovered has, has been working for her. Um, she expects her daughter to get dressed and use the bathroom and be ready to head out the door within 10 minutes. But it ends up taking about 30 minutes for this process, and she ends up doing most of the work to get her daughter ready. Her reality doesn't meet her expectations, clearly. Um, but she says in that extra 20 minutes that she has in that gap between her reality and the expectations, she actually hits the pause button and she stops to consider. You know, she wants this daughter who's independent, who's focused, who's, who's uh, respectful and motivated to help her get out the door. But in that 20 minutes, she, as she reflects, she considers maybe her expectations are a little bit too high for a four-year-old human. <laughs> and she realizes she's not getting what she wants yet. 
But if she remains patient, if she keeps affirming, if she keeps encouraging, she's got a lot better chance of narrowing that gap between her expectation and her reality than she does if she allows anger to get control. Again, this is a really challenging practice, but I encourage you to try it. And just know that you're probably going to fail. And then give yourself grace to try it again. And to practice again. And to try it again and again. And knowing that you might fail. And knowing that even if it becomes more natural, there's going to be times when you fail. Because it's always easier to choose anger right, than to choose something else. I think one other thing that can help us, because this is so challenging, is the gift of Sabbath. The gift of rest. God gave us a day. He set a day aside for us to be able to rest in him. And see, where anger is about control, Sabbath is about trust. Where anger is about not getting what we want, Sabbath is about resting in God's provision for us. And our culture works against Sabbath, right? It's hard. It takes real commitment and an intentional effort to set a regular time aside for us to get the rest that we need. But doing so can actually create conditions in our heart that cultivate gratitude and joy and love that is patient and kind. What I'm learning is that the way culture has forced us so much, maybe it's easier to start with some small bits of Sabbath in our days and choosing some breaks and choosing some rest. I, I, I experienced this just a couple weeks ago and busy, busy week, and I'm feeling pressured, and I could feel these strains and some of these things coming on in my heart, and I had an appointment set up with a friend, and I was tempted to just cancel this appointment. I said, nope, I canceled the last time we're going to meet, and he came to my office. We had lunch, and I wasn't sure what was on his agenda to talk about, but all we talked about that day was his kids in college, their football experience, my son getting ready to graduate, go play football. We talked about him, his coaching experience. I mean, 75 minutes went by like that, right? But I tell you what, after that 75 minutes, I was so refreshed. Like my mind and my heart had just been given a break. It was a, it was a Sabbath rest with a friend. Why do I deny myself these little breaks that are so good for our heart? It's freedom in Jesus' invitation. Take some rest. Jesus knows that we'll still fail, we'll still fall short, we'll still do things in our anger that hurt people. And so Jesus offers another path to freedom when we fail. Second part of what he taught about anger. He says if, you've, if your heart has been angry and you've caused trouble for someone else, here's how you restart. He says, if, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Jesus says, listen, your first step to being free from anger is go apologize. If you're in church and you're ready to write a check or you're ready to sing a song and offer some kind of worship and you all of a sudden remember that somebody, a friend or a loved one has something against you, just go say you're sorry. Go and talk to them and do whatever you can, whatever is on your part to own your part of the problem, to be reconciled to them. Say you're sorry. Own your anger. Own your behavior. 
Do your part to restore the relationship. That's the path to freeing our lives and our hearts from the trouble that anger causes in our lives. It's a path to freeing our heart to the best life to live. Life full of peace, life full of great relationships, life full of the power and the love of the kingdom of God. Will you pray with me? Father, you have given each one of us this capacity for anger, to experience anger. And, and Lord, when it's mismanaged, it creates all kinds of problems in our lives and in our relationships. And that's not your desire for us. Your desire is to be able to use that anger to actually reflect on what's going on in our hearts, what it is that we're not getting that we want or that we need or that we think we deserve, and then, and then to bring that to you first and to have that conversation with you so that you can provide for us and show us how good you are, so that you can preserve our relationships, preserve us from stepping out of bounds in ways that lead to danger in ways that imprison us in our own hell. So, Father, help us to walk closely with you. Help us to follow Jesus, and, and, and Lord, with your Holy Spirit's help, help us to practice some of these things, that we can avoid the troubles of anger in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.